Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar, news and thought-provoking discussions for today's emergency medical service provider. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's podcast, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat. So let's move forward with our program. First, folks, I'd like to introduce to you uh, two great individuals I've come to know past uh, few weeks. Uh, joining us is Barbara Fisk. Barbara is the office manager at Trinidad Ambulance District. Good afternoon, Barb. Hello, how are you today? Great, it's good to have you. And also, uh, Deputy Chief Gabe Moreno. Deputy Chief, welcome. Thank you. Well, we're going to get started here because we have a 30-minute time frame, and we try to stick to that because everybody has busy schedules these days. But I want you to be able to tell us as much as you can as we pose questions to us. So let's start off with you folks. Let's give everybody just a general overview of what you guys, where you guys are, who you are, just a general over, overview of your department, if you'd be kind enough. Well, sure. I'll step in on that one. Um, Trinidad is located in the very southernmost part of the state of Colorado. We are about 11 miles from the New Mexico border down I-25. A very small rural community. Um, started off with a lot of coal mining, uh, mining industry, gas oil. Uh, right now, our, our big town industry seems to be uh, recreational and medicinal marijuana. So we do have a lot of people coming to our area for that. Um, the ambulance district started in the 1970s, um, was established as a special district in 1989 with the county. Um, so we uh, currently service the whole 4,800 square miles of Los Animas County, excluding one small portion of the, of the county. Um, so there we how many employees do we have current right now um, 25 about 25 employees and uh yeah we cover a very large rural area with hunting farming and all that good stuff that goes along with colorado and outdoor activities well, well great but, go ahead keep going oh, i was just gonna say so that just gives you a little bit of an idea of where we are and what we cover great um just a question for you. Can you describe, I, I noticed in Colorado, we have a lot of fire protection districts, ambulance districts. Um, what what can, constitutes a district, if you don't mind me asking that question? I'm a little confused on it. Well, where we are, it, like I said, is very rural. So you have a lot of your, your fire protection districts are typically a volunteer, correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, but they're, they're typically a volunteer force that can uh, become a district under the county. I think it's Colorado statute. Is it Colorado? Because, okay. Um, they have best. That's true. And I'm not really sure how to, how to explain it, but um, the state of Colorado has special districts. So you can have like a water district, a fire district, an ambulance district. And basically it's just run by uh, a board that o kind of oversees that agency. I see. Good. Yeah, I um, passed through Colorado on multiple occasions uh, just recently last week, but I was only there for a short time. But I noticed many of our clients um, have the word district attached to their name. And um, I just wanted to pose that question because I 
I wanted to ask that last week and didn't get the chance to do so. So thank you for answering that. Um, how about as far as your staffing patterns? Uh, uh, you're primarily 911. Do you do any non-emergency work and how do you staff each vehicle? So we do, we're primarily 911. Um, we do a lot of emergency and non-emergency inter-facility transfers. Um, currently we staff two ALS ambulances, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, an ALS ambulance is an intermediate or a paramedic along with an EMT basic. And we've also got an on-call crew that's an ALS crew that if for some reason both of our on-duty ambulances are out in the county, they have to be at the station within 15 minutes to be able to cover the rest of the county. And, and how do you handle the on-call crew? Do they have to, um, I know you said 15 minutes, but are these typically people who live close or do they actually uh, spend time relaxing at the base or how does that work? It could be both. Um, so they either live close, but if, uh, for some reason, somebody from out of town is picking up a shift. Uh, we've got space here at the station that they can stay the night and just kind of hang out. Great. Well, and we have our, our station itself has a, a really nice employee living quarters. They have a lovely kitchen, living room, four bedrooms, a small gym, workout room. So they have a lot of privacy and it's more comfortable than being in an open squad bay or whatever. So it's not too uncomfortable if they have to stay. You probably shouldn't have said that, Barb, because next time I'll forego the Hampton and I'll just come <laughs> stay with you guys. Come on down. We even have massage. We even have massage chairs. You could just relax. Well, I'll I'll end up having squatters right. I'll never come back to Pittsburgh with that kind of accommodation. So, oh my goodness, very nice, very accommodating. That's great. Um, so you know. One of the issues with all emergency medical services, and for that matter, uh, Gabe and Barb, is, is outreach into your community, educating your um, community on what makes you tick. Do you folks uh, do anything in that regard? And, and how do you make it stick, I guess, is probably the, uh, the bigger of the two questions. We do. We like to be out in the community a lot. Um, we teach CPR for the majority of the community here. And so I think we handed out 300 mm -hmm. CPR cards last year. Um, so we have that every year. Uh, we do all the sporting events, standbys and that kind of thing. So we're out in the public. Um, every summer we like to go post out at uh, King Super, at a King Super, it's a Safeway <laughs> or a Walmart and do free blood pressure checks and, and yeah. just kind of interact with the community. Um, we're also real in tune with our law enforcement. So when they do their national night out, we'll go out and help them with that. Um, we provided all of our law enforcement officers two years ago with tourniquets. So every officer has a tourniquet. And then we provided stop the bleed kits to every school here in the county and provide training annually for the stop the bleed. So we try and be real active in the community and be out and about and just be seen. You mentioned, go ahead, Barb. Well, I was going to say, we've also uh, have a, one of our instructors who has started uh, EMR programs at local high schools. So he's actually teaching in the high schools, two different schools this year, uh, EMR class, because we're very rural and small, trying to build our program from the ground up. So we're trying to catch these kids in high school, hoping that they'll get the bug and, and want to stay and, and stay in the area a little more. 
That's really very interesting. I have not heard of that in um, my travels. So uh, if I can just kind of digress, how has the response been from the students? I take it these are high school students? Mm -hmm. They have to be a junior, minimum of a junior, preferably a senior. And his classes are full. Uh, the two classes that he teaches and they get, I believe they get their high school credit. I don't know if it's a health credit. I believe that they receive with that. Um, and so, yeah, we've had some kids go on to the uh, EMT program. We've hired. Yeah, we've actually got three employees that yep. went on to be EMTs and now they're full-time employees yep. with us. And I wonder if these young people would have even um, had any inkling to go to this type of career without a program like that. Yeah, very true. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And the school welcomes that? They're they're good with it? Oh, they're we've got several schools wanting to be on our program, but we can we only have one instructor, so we have to kind of share the share the love a little bit. But yeah, they're the schools are very open to it. Well, I got to tell you, like my hat's off to you on that. I'm not sure that if it's the gentleman who or, or woman who started this program or you folks, but um, I travel this country and last year alone in 2019, I was in 35 states oh, and wow. um, I'm sure others do this, but you're the first one that I've stumbled upon that actually is in great. And I, I've always thought, you know, we, we talk about, and we're going to ask a question here later, but I always you know, hear about this employee retention and what are we doing to foster growth? Because, you know, I mean, I, I moved stretchers and patients for many years and I moved my last one in 2010 because my back wouldn't take it anymore. But, you know, when you look over your shoulder, there's not a lot of young people jumping in and it's a lot of it is not so much they don't want to do it is that they just don't know about it. Right. 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 So. Congratulations. My hat's off to all of those involved with that program. That's great. Thank you. Uh, so along the lines of involvement, um, how about with other organizations? Uh, you know, I, I know you folks are, are um, running at an advanced level there, and I'm sure there's probably some BLS groups around you. How's the relationship and what do you do to foster camaraderie between the groups? So we're kind of different. We're the sole EMS provider for Los Angeles County, with the exception of the Skim School District, which is about an hour and a half or so away. So they've got a volunteer EMS agency there. Um, so we try, we try and work with them, and we provide their um, morphine and their narcotics like that uh, to kind of help them out. And we'll backfill their area if, if their responders are out of town or they're working or something. But aside Gabe, from I, I got to stop you again here. Okay. And we're going to try to keep this at a half hour, but you guys are telling me very interesting facts here. So the school district operates an ambulance? No, it's, it's, um, that's just how they broke down that part of the county. I gotcha. Okay. Oh, it's it's right. by the school district. And how big is Kim? Yeah, Kim's about 85 people. Yeah. So it's like okay. a half right. a square mile. Good. I'm thinking, holy mackerel, these people, they got the school district. Doing it. <laughs> yeah. Very, very rural, small areas, small communities out here. We but, also provide uh, ambulances and, and training for our quick response teams to the local fire, volunteer fire departments. We give them all ambulances and the equipment and training they need for their volunteers to be able to respond at the far reaches of the county as well. I see. 
I think it's important for me to relate to you folks as well as to our listeners that when we do these presentations, um, there's a sometimes a stereotype, and it's not always a positive one, that rural does not always mean progressive. And I think what I'm hearing so far is we're proving that myth very wrong. The things that you're doing are incredible to me. Uh, you know, I'm a city boy here sitting in <laughs> Pittsburgh, which isn't the biggest city in the country, but nonetheless, it is a city. And when I, I talk to clients who are rural, you know, I know they have struggles as we all do, but to do the things that you're doing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're on, on the air with me. I, I'm truly impressed. And I think your, your listeners are too. Actually, um, I've, I've got uh, one listener who wrote in and, and wrote kudos to them. So, oh, so good. So somebody in Florida, one of our in listeners Florida. in Florida just gave you a thumbs up. So good for you. Yeah, our, our executive director, Chief Moynihan, likes to say that uh, just because you want to live in rural Colorado doesn't make it a death sentence. Hey, and so, you know, so we try and be as progressive as we can. True statement. Very good. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't know where we came up with that stereotype that rural doesn't always dictate progressive, but, um, you know, it's I've seen it proven wrong, not just in your area, but in many areas uh, throughout the country. So, and I know it's a lot harder. It's no easy task, but um, again, good for you guys. So along those lines of progressiveness, um, can you tell me some of the clinical improvements that you folks have undertaken over the past few years, be it equipment or training or personnel? Um, can you let our listeners know, you know, what, where are your priorities as far as um, clinical side goes? So we're real fortunate and our uh, chief likes to kind of spoil us and take us to EMS Expo every year. And so about three or four years ago, um, we went and we found this little device called the iGel. And we thought it was a cool little thing. Brought it back to Colorado. Um, our medical director gave us the go-ahead to trial it. We had such um, success with it that he uh, approved it for all of his agencies. He's a medical director for about 28 other agencies or so. And shortly after that, the entire state kind of adopted it. And so we kind of brought the IGEL to Colorado. At least I like to think that. Um, Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, sure. Could you explain what iGel is to old people who host podcasts and webinars? <laughs> so the iGel is basically a superglottic airway. It's kind of like the LMAs were, except there's no inflatable balloon or anything. It's just a little gel pad. And it, it works the same as uh, an LMA. You just stick it in and start working. And how much training to use it? Um, very little. I mean, it works like an OPA or anything else mm-hmm. that you just kind of stick the device in and start working. And it's I, the letter I hyphen gel. The reason why I'm asking, because I'm going to try to Google it here while we're talking. Yes, sir. Okay, great. All right. Uh, so you guys should be actually the host, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um, last year, we will get two Lucas devices, the automated CPR devices on a grant. And along with that, we were able to introduce the head up CPR program. So uh, our medical director, Dr. Weber, approved us to start doing that. Um, him and Chief Moynihan went to the gathering of Eagles in 2018 saw a presentation by Dr. Pepe and thought uh, the data was good 
And so we brought that back to Colorado. And as far as I know, we're the first ones in Colorado that are doing that. I see. Is that Dr. Paul Pepe? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. So Dr. Paul Pepe was in Pittsburgh for a number of years, and I worked shoulder to shoulder with him at Allegheny cool. General Hospital. Wow. Yep. No, great, cool. great guy, great EMS physician. Really great. Well, that's interesting stuff. So let me ask you, as far as the Lucas devices go, how's, how's that been as far as for your save rate? Has it helped you at all? Have you seen any uh, positive um, outcomes? It's kind of hard to judge because our uh, cardiac arrest is so low with a small call volume, um, but it has improved um, overall scene management, we've noticed, and it, it frees up a lot of hands. So we've got two providers on the trucks, and then the majority of our other responders are volunteers, so we're limited to one or two extra hands. So uh, they've been very helpful in just scene management and having extra hands. It's an incredible device. Wish I had it in the 70s. My back wouldn't feel like it does every day. <laughs> right. Lucas device and power cots, right? Oh, the power cots for sure. <laughs> no question about that whatsoever. Great. Okay. How about as far as, um, well, those are great, but how about as far as um, innovations or things that you've done for your crew safety? Always a hot topic around the country, crew safety. Um. Again, uh, just talking about power cots, power cots, we were able to get those on a grant a few years ago. And so that's been very helpful, um, reducing back injuries and some other injuries. Um, and then just kind of staying on top of equipment mounts and, and making sure that everything's got a space so that we kind of limit um, anything that might become a projectile for some reason we get an accident or something. So we try and stay on top of industry industry standards. Um, we see what they have at EMS Expo. Um, we're always looking for the newest and greatest things and see if that's something that we can that might help benefit us. Well, that's great. Well, that Captain, and Captain Detray went and uh, became a certified instructor for the Smith's driving course. Oh, so yeah. we have so we have him um, in house for uh, driving training. Um, which has been, I think, very helpful with our folks. Uh, ballistic vests. We have. We now have ballistic vests for all of our crews. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Gym, spa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did. We did recently get yeah. a gym. Yeah. So um, people really wanted to start working out and staying in shape, and we went ahead and purchased a, a little home gym for the station so they can stay in shape and work out on shift. Great. We have a question for you from Virginia, okay. uh, the state of Virginia. I was going to say. <laughs> yes, state of Virginia. They asked, um, being, being a rural area that you service, what is your average response time? Well, in the city, it's usually five to seven minutes, but we can have response times up to an hour. I so see. we cover, I, I wrote it down here. So we cover 40 miles of Interstate 25. We cover about 50 miles of Highway 12, which runs east and west. And then there's two other highways that go out east that we cover 45 miles and 60 miles of. So, so we can have very long response times. That's uh, and then what do they do for those folks with extended response times? Is there a, an, an engine company or, um, 
first responders that, that handle those until you get there? A lot of times it's our volunteer um, fire agencies that we provide the equipment to that respond. Um, but even that's been kind of tough. As you said earlier, you know, with the kids and trying to get kids involved, it's becoming harder and harder to get adult volunteers to help man some of these outstations, the fire departments and the medical response teams. It's becoming very difficult to get people to replace the uh, folks who are aging out, I guess, if you want to say that. Yeah, and I'm one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I understand, and that, I think that's yeah. as I said before, retention. Right. Um, another question for you, if you don't mind. This one comes out of Michigan. Um, you're getting them from all over here today. <laughs> um, so, along I guess along the lines of response times, is what's your average transport time to the uh, the hospital? Uh, those will be similar. It could be five to seven minutes. It could be over an hour. Just depends on where we are. Um, like I said, we cover, or like Barb said, we cover about 4,800 square miles. So we can be up elevation 10,000 feet out west, and we can be down in the plains around 5,000 feet or so. I see. It just, just depends. Well, and then your interfacility transfers too. They can even go yeah. from 80 miles to 140 miles right. to the next facility. Sure. Um, this one's from Ohio. Um, do you have a significant number of motor vehicle accidents every year being uh, the, being as rural as you are? We do. So I-25 is a major stretch of highway, and we get a lot of uh, commuters from Texas, California, um, Nebraska, Wyoming, New Mexico. So there's a lot of traffic that comes through our little city here. So we, we do have quite a bit of traffic accidents. And how about as far as extrication goes? Are you folks doing that or is the fire department? We are. And I actually had a note to, to mention that. So we just recently, this last fall, bought uh, two extrication combi tools just because our volunteer response isn't what it used to be. Um, they've all got jobs and lives like the rest of us. So we went ahead and, and bought some combi tools and put them on our two first aid ambulances and trained our people to do extrication in the event that we don't have anybody coming or or in case the response is limited. Great stuff, great stuff. I, uh, I have to kind of interject here. So you mentioned I-25. I don't know if you saw me shudder when you, when you mentioned <laughs> those words, but um, my son lives in Castle Rock, Colorado. And for some reason, anytime we go anywhere, we're on I-25. And I can assure you, we have no I-25s here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I don't know if you can see these gray hairs on my head, folks, but some of them are I-25 gray hairs. Uh, that well, once again, I-25 is very rural. So when you get down into our area, people are traveling 90 miles an hour. Well, they're, Barb, they're when I come down there to stay at your base, I'll be much more relaxed. Yes. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> My goodness. All right, let's move along here because we're coming up on time here. So um, how about as far as, you know, I mean, I think there isn't anybody immune or nobody who has heard about the opioid epidemic. And this is something that, 
is widespread. Every community I go to, everybody I speak with, you know, is addressing this and it's just a source of great challenge and frustration for everybody. How about you folks? You know, it's kind of odd. So our epidemic hit in 2016, long before it was an epidemic and before anybody was talking about it. In 2016, we were sixth in the nation per capita for opioid overdose deaths. So since then, our county commissioners have uh, jumped on board with some other counties and they were looking at maybe suing big pharma companies trying to see if they can help put a put an end to this opioid problem. Um, but I haven't really seen uh, a fix as of yet, at least not locally. Yeah. yeah. And how about, uh, are, are you, is your numbers going up or staying about the same each year? Chief? I think they're staying about the same now. I haven't seen an increase. I think, yeah, I think they're about the same. And how about community uh, Narcan programs? Are there, are there any of those out there? Um, we do. So the health department two years ago bought Narcan and handed it out to the public. Um, they're able to buy it over the counter at Walmart now for a lot cheaper than what I can get it. <laughs> and uh, all of our law enforcement here is carrying Narcan. So I see. See, well, good luck. It's a it's a a huge beast to have to try to tame and. Uh, Nobody can seemingly get their arms around it. And that's a sad statement for our nation, but just the way it is. So, so true. Okay. So uh, I've heard some great things about Trinidad, and I'm sure there continues to be many more great things that we won't cover here. But uh, Gabe and Barb, what are your big challenges? What are the things that kind of keep you up at night? I think one of the biggest things is recruiting, yeah. um, like we talked about earlier. And that's why we've had to kind of institute the local programs and try and grow our own people. Um, unfortunately, we're such a small community. We're about halfway between Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Denver. And so uh, we just, people don't want to come down here unless they're from the area because there's nothing really here to do. So that, that's been probably the biggest challenge is getting people to come to small small town Colorado and and make a career here and stay here. Yeah. I would have to mimic that or copy that because it is, that's just the one thing we go round and round with. Sure. Did you mention earlier that your, your big industry is farming or ranching down there? Is that, is that what it is? Well, it used to be, it used to be the mining, the coal mines. And then it was before that it was, you know, ranching cattle, and then it was gas and oil, and they've all kind of moved out. Uh, it's become harder and harder for small-time operations in the ranching industry to survive. So that also has become a problem. Um, with that, it's it's just a struggling little community in that sense. It's finding their way. It's tough. It really is tough. Um, you've answered the question pretty well about what have you been doing to retain and get quality employees. So. Let me just say, as we come to the close here, um, is there anything other interesting facts that you folks would like to tell us about? I mean, you've got a great group of listeners here today. As I look, uh, you got 15 or 16 states, and uh, I see some uh, names as EMS leaders across the nation that are tuned in uh, from our 
our client base. So is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, aside from some of the stuff we've already mentioned, uh, I'd like to kind of note that um, as far as I know, we're one of the first um, agencies in Colorado to do a rescue task force. Um, so Barb had mentioned that we bought all of our employees ballistic vests. So as far as I know, we're one of the first agencies, if not the only agency right now, that puts emergency responders with law enforcement to go in in the event of an active shooter situation. Um, so we've been doing that. Well, and you guys, there's we have paramedics that are deputized with the sheriff's department for this task force. Right. And you guys train together and everything for that. So it, And yeah. we're armed. So if for some reason law enforcement is short or the response time is lacking, then um, we can go in armed and we can do the protection for the other EMS providers. I see. So that we got that. Something that you don't hear much of. You're right. So you're probably... Uh, in a uh, minority, but, but kudos to you once again. So we're also building a, a new state park here in Colorado. So it'll be the 42nd state park, but it'll be the second largest park. And so with that, we're kind of trying to plan ahead and, and get some rope rescue type training and a UTV and some other types of training to be able and be prepared to respond to the new state park. We don't know what they're going to do up there just yet. They talked about hiking. They talked about uh, zip line. They talked about hunting. They talked about um, base jumping and rock climbing. So um, just some other cool little things that we're hoping to maybe institute here. That's great. And they're currently building that, Gabe? They are. They want it open by January 21. So they're working on it quick. Well, that's great. Anything else, folks? Hmm. I can't think if of anything. If not, you guys have given us a lot to contemplate, and uh, this has been really good. So, uh, Gabe and Barb, if you just could stay here for a moment with me, and I'll see if I have any other questions, but I'll just thank sure. our listeners for joining in. Uh, we try to keep this around a 30-minute time frame, and Thanks to all of you who have joined us today. This has always been just a source of uh, great excitement for me. I learn on every one of these darn things. And as you can probably tell, I learned some things today. So uh, please join us. Uh, our next session will be uh, in March. And uh, we will make sure we get the word out on who's joining us for that program. Uh, I encourage all of you to take part in all of our webinars, be it documentation training or some keynote addresses. And of course, this presentation will, is being recorded and will be also put on our uh, podcast channel, the EMS Board and Caller. Uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, on iHeartRadio, or uh, Google Play. You can search for EMS Board and Caller. And we have about 113 or 15 different episodes that are out there for uh, you to join in. So if there aren't any other questions for uh, Barb and the Deputy Chief, I'll say thanks to them. And I deeply appreciate you joining us today. I'm going to let our listeners at home uh, get back to their day. And Barb and Gabe, if you could just stay with me for a moment or two, I'd appreciate it. Uh, so thanks again for all of you who joined us today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again. 
And Barb and Gabe, if I just can ask here before I sign, let them go. Um, if folks would like to contact you, if they have more questions, one, would that be okay? And two, what would be the best way to do that? Absolutely. And um, you can visit our website at www.tadems.com or you can call the office here at 719-846-6886. Great. Thank you very much. To all of you who've joined us and to our great friends at Trinidad Ambulance District, thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. And hey, be safe out there.